Hey, Drew Dixon back with you for another Bible Thump, and uh, we are going through the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we went through Mark 1, 21 through 28, and we saw um, Jesus cast out this demon. He healed this man of an unclean spirit, and we saw Jesus teaching as one with authority. Authority is a huge theme in the Gospel of Mark, but we saw him also um, interacting with a spiritually broken world. Jesus living in a spiritually broken world, a world broken by sin, a world broken by human um, poor decision-making and all these kinds of things. And Jesus steps into this place where everyone's facing not necessarily the consequences of their own sinfulness. Like, I think this person who was oppressed by a demon wasn't necessarily oppressed by this unclean spirit because of something he had done wrong, necessarily. I don't think that's the right way to think about it. But uh, the reality is that we live in a world that's broken by sin, and Jesus is in the business of healing our spiritually broken world and healing spiritually broken people like us, people who are oppressed, people who are going through difficult times. And uh, and finally, we saw, uh, you know, that Jesus is invested in bringing oppressed people care and relief, and invites us, I think, too, to step into the world with a similar conviction, with a similar uh, mission that we step into the world with a desire to bring um, care and relief to those who are hurting, those who are oppressed. So let's continue in in Mark as we continue to discover more about just who Jesus is and what he's like. And I think um, we find here that Jesus is, is really, really m- remarkable. So, so this is Mark 1, starting in verse 29, and I'm going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. As soon as they left the synagogue and they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John, Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companion searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach, so I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons, and driving out demons. And then a man with leprosy came to him, and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, said, I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest, and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. So, there's several things that we see in this passage that we've already begun to see in Mark's Gospel. And again, we see that whole uh, theme of authority, right? Jesus is declaring his authority over all kinds of things that are broken in the world. Last week we saw him claim authority over the demons. He does that again here, where he casts out demons and doesn't allow them to speak because they know him. Um, Jesus is trying to control the PR (laughs) around himself a little bit because he knows it could easily get out of hand. And if the PR about him continues to get out of hand, uh, that could lead to um, a 
to trouble for him. And eventually it does, right? Eventually the PR disaster around him, not not that he caused it, but this PR uh, about him uh, resulted in religious leaders doing everything they could to put him to death. And ultimately they succeeded, right? Um, so, but here we see him also in two really profound ways declaring authority over sickness. And again, I want to be really clear, like, um, the fact that you or anyone else in the world is sick, we, we, we don't really know why. Um, the Bible never gives us a clear answer as to why that might happen. But we do know that sickness and death are results of, of the fall, according to, to Genesis, right? That, that the, those, these are broken aspects of our world. And we also know that the Bible promises a, us a future where there is no sickness or suffering or death, right? Um, a place where sickness is no more, where every tear is wiped away from our eyes. Uh, that's the future that the Bible promises us. And here we see Jesus um, giving us the first taste of that future. Um, Jesus doesn't just heal people or cast out demons or raise the dead to show how great he is. It's not like Jesus is just sort of showing off and going like, hey guys, did you did you catch it? Like, I'm, I'm a super big deal. This is Jesus committing himself to repairing to repairing the world to repairing what's wrong with us right there's coming a day of a new heavens and a new earth and this is this is these acts of of these miracles these acts of kindness these healings these you know acts of casting out demons are Jesus saying I'm going to do something about what's wrong with the world I'm going to heal it I'm going to make all things new the second thing we see in this passage is Jesus's commitment to prayer which is pretty wild to think about because um, if we really believe that Jesus is God in human flesh, which is what Christians have long believed, then you have God in human flesh committing himself to communicating with God the Father. Um, God the Son was fully committed to a vibrant relationship with God the Father. Jesus was committed to prayer, and it demonstrates that a relationship with God, um, I think, can be personal and vibrant. Uh, it can be one where you want to get away and get alone to pray. Jesus was constantly surrounded by people. And um, I think we see early in the Gospels like um, that that's both a good thing and a bad thing for Jesus. Like Jesus loves being around people because he loves to serve them and heal them and bring relief to those who are suffering. Like he's really committed to loving and serving and loving and serving and loving and serving and loving and serving and loving and serving. And loving and serving. He's super committed to it. He's doing it constantly in the Gospels. Um I want you to hear me say this. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but but you are not an inconvenience to Jesus. Um, that said, too, like he needed time away. He was so overwhelmed with people, he needed time where he could get away and be with God. Was this a time that he needed to be with God to ask for strength to get through um, the day, you know, really stressful days of, of hard work? Jesus' ministry, like if you just read the Gospels, one of the things we see about his his public ministry is that it was hard. It was jam-packed. It must have been incredibly stressful. Um, so maybe that's what he's doing in these times of prayer. I, I don't know. We don't get the content of these prayers except for a handful of places in the Gospels. Um, but I think it's important to remember, like, Jesus is fully human with all the limitations that come with that, right? When Jesus embraced humanity, um, he embraced our our. Uh, limitations, our human limitations in many ways. 
Now, of course, we see Jesus healing and all these kinds of things that seem to make Jesus seem superhuman, um, but he's doing those things under the authority and power of God, the Father, right? He embraced a full, the full experience of what it means to be human, um, and that means he needed, he needed God. He needed God for strength. Um, but yeah, for you and I, seeing Jesus pray reminds us that a, that a real, personal, vibrant relationship with the God who made us is possible. Then he ends this section in verse 38 by saying, um, you know, Simon comes searching for him, um, and, and Simon says, hey, where you been? Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the neighboring villages that I may preach. So I might preach there too. That is why I've come. This is why I've come. Um, that is a statement that you might just kind of skip over and think, oh yeah, of course, Jesus is, is, needs to go preach to the next town. Um, but this this is why I have come. That statement is actually packed with meaning. Um, this is a statement that only occurs a handful of places elsewhere in the Bible, aside from the Gospels. And those places are like in... Um, Elijah's ministry and a few other of the prophets um, would 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 you would see this phrase uttered, and you see it sometimes in in the literature, Jewish literature that was written in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, so, in some of that literature, you would see uh, that that kind of I have come to do such and such. I have come for such and such purpose. I have come plus a, a statement of purpose. That kind of saying is only uttered by angels, by angels of the Lord, by messengers from God. So these these beings that are pre-existent, that existed prior to their visit to Earth, right? So what do I? Why do I bring that up? Because when Jesus says this, this "I have come" statement, and there's many of these in the Gospels, right? Um, I have come. Um, so another example would be, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Um, I have come to seek and save the lost, right? Um, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These are I have come statements. And they imply that Jesus, um, Jesus' time on earth is not, that's, that's not the full story for him, right? He is a pre-existent being. He existed before his time on earth. Jesus is claiming, um, this, is, this is a nod to Jesus' divinity when he makes this kind of statement. Um, He's implying that he's come um, not just from Galilee or wherever, but he's come from heaven to earth. And then he gives this really powerful statement. I have come from heaven to earth to preach. And what does he preach? Well, we've already talked about that. He's, he comes to preach good news. Good news about a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven invading the kingdom of earth. Um, and that's exactly what we see here going on, right? Is heaven is invading earth. It's invading earth in demons being cast out of people so that they can return to their right mind. It's being, it's being, um, heaven is invading earth in the sense of, of Simon's uh, mother-in-law, right? Being healed of a fever. It's, it's this man who's healed of leprosy, which is one of the most profound miracles in Jesus' earthly ministry because Jesus does a couple things that you don't do in the ancient world. You don't touch people with leprosy. You don't. Because what happens if you touch them with leprosy according to ancient Jewish thinking? Well, you become unclean yourself. And you potentially might get the skin disease. That's what they thought. If you touch them with leprosy, you're going to get leprosy. And that's really scary because then you become unclean and and you have to go through all these rituals and so on and so on. Jesus could have healed this person any number of ways, right? But he deliberately touched 
someone who had not been touched probably for a very long time. It was incredibly lonely and isolating to be someone with leprosy in the first century. And Jesus loved this person so much that he touched this person to heal them of leprosy. Jesus is willing to cross all kinds of social boundaries, uh, religious boundaries, cultural boundaries, to love people like you and me. Um, he wants to be close to us. He wants to be near to us. Um, he wants to embrace us as his own. Jesus is a savior. He's a God like no other. There is no one we can compare him to. Um, and here we get a picture, too, I think, of how Jesus wants us to love and serve and minister to others. Remember, this kingdom that Jesus is establishing is not just a, a future kingdom. It's a kingdom Jesus wants us to participate in now, that he invites us to to proclaim and to, to participate in now. And one of the ways we can participate in Jesus' kingdom is by thinking about how we could maybe cross some religious or cultural boundaries, some... Um, some boundaries, some place, go to some places where people say you shouldn't go, uh, or maybe you, you, you can't go, um, to love and serve people. I am not in any way suggesting you do anything, uh, sinful or that you disobey God in any way in order to love and serve other people. I'm not suggesting that you go in and do drugs with drug addicts to love drug addicts. But what I am saying is that you look for ways to enter into the worlds of bro- worlds of broken people, enter into their spaces, enter into the spaces of people who are suffering and hurting, and think about ways you can love them and serve them and meet their needs. That's what Jesus did. And that's the kind of ministry he invites us to. It's good news. It's really good news. Because Jesus is willing to enter my world and love and serve me and touch and touch me despite my leprosy. Right? Same kind of idea. Jesus does that for us. So how can we love and serve and point people to Jesus ourselves? Uh, It's good news. It's really good news. And I hope you see that. And I can't wait to discuss some more good news with you next week. Uh, If no one else tells you, please hear it from us. Jesus loves you, nerd.